finally the cab driver said, yeah, I really have to go home to uh, Tunisia, which was uh, two or three hours away with the cab. So he left me alone. I said, hey, you cannot just drop me on the road in a town where I don't know anybody. So he dropped me at the police station and I spent the night in a jail. In this episode, I'm talking with alumni Hans Gut, who studied mechanical engineering at the ETH, then had a long career in business before leading Coreum, a Swiss foundation promoting learning, training, and further education in healthcare for over 20 years. This is the We Are ETH podcast, and I'm Susan Kish, your host. Hans, how did you decide to go to the ETH way back when, when you were an undergraduate? Or were there any other choices? No, actually, when I did my maturity, I didn't really know, you know, what to study, but it was very clear that, uh, you know, I, I, I will have to study somewhere. That's what my parents kind of expected. And then, um, you know, they sent me to a Berufsberater. Um, how do you call this? A sort the, of a career advisor? A, yeah, exactly. A career advisor. And as my marks in the Matura were pretty good in all the, you know, math and physics and chemistry and, and those kind of topics, um, he suggested I should go to the ETH. And to me, that was okay. And I, you know, I said, why not? I'm, I'm a boy. I like machines. And um, so that's how I decided to study mechanical engineering. Did you study computers at all at that time or sort of simple programming? Computers almost didn't exist at, at that time, <laughs> you know, unfortunately. You know, I started my studies 19, when was it? 1970. Mm-hmm. Computers was really not a big issue at that time. For those in the audience who are listening to podcasts and have the world at their hand with a mobile phone, what was it like? Where did you spend your time? Were you in labs? Were you in the library? Did you go to a coffee shop? What was your day like when you were a student then? Well, the ETH at the time, it was really a, a school. It was not very different to the gymnasium. Really? Yes, you know, we had to be there at eight o'clock and then there was a break uh, an hour later and so on. And then it, it did go on. This was before computers were ubiquitous. Computers probably were, you know, the size of this room. They were big, right? Absolutely. Did you take any classes that caused you to work with your computers? And, and if so, how did you do that? Well, we were forced to take computer classes. Forced. It was required? It was required. Yes, it was required. And, you know, we had to write in this uh, language, which was called... Uh, no, Pascal. Pascal, right. Pascal. Right. And at the time, I knew a little bit how to, you know, to program, you know, very, very simple uh, tasks. Uh-huh. And then, you know, you had these punch cards. And I, I remember, remember the computer was at the Klausiusstrasse and in the evening a lot of ETH students were queuing up there to put their punch cards through the machine because this was a requirement to pass some exams and, and stuff. Did so you, you have were, to reserve a time or how did you, no, or you no, just no. sort of grabbed a sandwich and went over there and stood in line? Yes, you stood in line most of the time without sandwich, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you, and then, um, you know, you push the cards, those punch cards into the machine. If you were lucky, um, 
uh, he printed out something which um, satisfied the professor. If you were not lucky, which happened a lot, at least to me, nothing came out, you know. How did you find a bug? If you, if you had a problem in one of those punch cards, how could you figure out where the bug was? Good question. I, I really don't remember, but it was very, very time consuming, extremely time consuming. I believe the computer, you know, those were those um, papers which came out of the, the computers, mm -hmm. those endless papers. And I think they indicated um, where the problem was and you could kind of zoom in there and try to eliminate. Out which command line. Yes. Yeah didn't quite work or where the logic was circular yes whatever something like that yeah but this is really a long long time ago <laughs> have you ever learned to program since then or played with programming no no that's not my uh, forte at all uh, oh, i might be surprised they're making now that you've got chat gbt you just write in a few commands right? oh okay yeah maybe i should uh, <laughs> should go to class again i think we all can do that you studied the ETH, you studied successfully there, so you finished the, the years. Then what did you decide to do with a love of machines and doing well in those areas? Well, actually, and, and this has a lot to do with the ETH. Um, at the ETH, we, at the time, we had to do kind of um, apprenticeships mm -hmm. in industry. And the two uh, apprenticeships, which I did, they became my future employer. Uh -huh. the, the first one was really where I made my diploma arbeit, my, my diploma work. Mm -hmm. The company was called Erlikom Bürle. Yeah. It was a very large company with, with a big machine tool division. And uh, I joined this machine tool division because that's what I studied, uh, machine tools, how to build machine tools. But later in my life, um, I joined uh, Maitler, today Maitler Toledo, and I got to know the people and they got to know me uh, during my first internship. So that's why, uh, you know, Dieta really played a very, very important role um, in, in my choices for, for the job because I got to know my future employers through Dieta. And at these jobs in machine tools, did you design tools? Did you design machines, what did you actually do? No, immediately after the ETH, I joined the sales department for machine tools. And that's something which interested me always a lot. And I had the opportunity, you know, to, to travel a lot, which um, to me was very, very attractive. And I'm assuming that was not just travel inside Switzerland. No, no, that was not <laughs> traveling at all inside Switzerland. They gave me all the kind of, uh, you know, very, very difficult countries. Uh, I had to, to travel through Africa, to North Africa, all the Maghreb countries. I was responsible for the Middle East. But this was all um, very exciting for me. Those were countries which I didn't know. and um, So this is Morocco and Algeria. And Tunisia, Tunisia. Yeah, and Egypt. Uh, Yes. Egypt, this is Dubai before it was the Dubai. We know what it is yes. today. Yeah, I didn't go to Dubai, but I went to Iran. That was a big uh, country for us. Very cool. And, and what, were, what were sales like in those days? 
Well, because you didn't have it, you couldn't sort of connect with them on LinkedIn and send them a note and say, I'm going to be in town, I'll stop no, by. Not at all. Actually, already the planning of the trips was, um, you know, a challenge in itself. I mean, this was before, um, you know, before emails and those kind of things, just to make hotel reservations was very, very tricky. Did you send letters or this is before fax machines, no, right? Well, fax, fax machines, machines no, the no, 80s. they did exist. I mean, I'm old, but not okay. so old. <laughs> no, fax machines, they did exist, but, you know, we hardly knew what kind of hotels were available. You know, one time that's kind of a, a story which I never forget. I was in Algeria and I had to travel to, to Libya and um, at the time, there was no flight uh, between those two countries. So I went with a with a cab and I had no hotel reservation. And when when I arrived, you were winging. Yeah, when I when I arrived, <laughs> we went to, you know, old hotels. Uh, this cab driver drove me to the hotels and they were all fully booked. And finally, um, the, the cab driver said, yeah, I really have to go home to, to uh, Tunisia which was uh, two or three hours away with, with the cab. So he left me alone. I said, hey, I cannot just drop me on the road in a town where I don't know anybody. So he dropped me <laughs> at the police station and I, I spent the night in in, in, in a jail. Yeah. I mean, it was because you, it had a bed. It had a bed. Yes, safe. exactly. Yes. It had, you know. Yeah. No, it was a, a very, very different traveling than today. That is a great story. And then you went when you went to Mato Toledo, who I think have sort of more around precision instruments than yes. I do around yes. big tools. Well, they they um, became famous for their balances, which they did, where you can measure, you know, all the way down to the millionth of a gram. And um, today they are very, very successful in all kind of equipment for the scientific laboratory. And did you do sales there as well? You know, I joined Mettler Toledo and actually, you know, to me, it was very important because when I was with, with Erlich Kombüerle, I asked Erlich Kombüerle whether they would uh, support me uh, if I did a business study. And they said, okay, uh, you can do that provided that you come back and that you assume this and this position. So I had... So you went to Stanford? Yes, I, I, I had an opportunity to go to Stanford. And when I um, came back, the job they wanted to give me didn't exist anymore. Because they, oh yeah, they kind of restructured everything, <laughs> and they said, um, "Now you know you have to join our military division." And I said, "No, I don't want to join this military division. That's really not where I want to spend." Um, military division that translates to selling guns. Selling guns, yes, and the aircraft guns. Okay, I can see. Yes, yeah, that would, yeah, that could be a problem. Yeah, it was a problem to me, and. Um, you know, they were very, very generous. They said, okay, we, we understand this is really not your fault. You can leave if you, if you want to leave. And I made uh, an ad in the Neue Zürcher Zeitung, you know, where I said, um, I'm a deepling ETH and also that I have a master in science uh, of the Stanford University. And at that time, this was very, very exclusive. And I got, you know, really tons of offers and the uh, People at Melter Toledo, they saw that as well. 
And they called me and they said, are you this Hans Gut who, you know, did uh, his internship um, 10 years ago or something? And I said, <laughs> yeah, it's still me. And they desperately wanted to, to wanted me to join Metal Toledo. And that's how I got there. That is a wonderful story. Now, tell me, when you put the ad in the NZZ saying, bright young man, <laughs> wow. got an ETH degree and an MBA from Stanford, which was a big deal. Was it on the Sunday issue or like the Wednesday issue? Uh, or did you I, run it many days? I, I really don't know anymore. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I guess at the time, you know, they had lots of advertisements for jobs. I mean, this... But usually it was for jobs, not people, not candidates. No, no, or true. was it both sides? Yes, no, true. But I I really can't tell you where I put it. It's somewhere in the Neue Zürcher Zeitung and the reactions, <laughs> they were, I mean, surprisingly high. That's fabulous. And you put your phone number and your home address so people yes. would write yes, you? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's fantastic. And at different times. <laughs> there were different times. So you're at Metler Toledo. And what do you do there? At Metler Toledo, the, the boss uh, was the guy whom I got to know when I did my my internship. And he basically, he said, you tell me what you want to do. And I said, well, I want to have a responsibility, direct responsibility for P&L and all those kind of things. Then he said, oh, okay, why don't you build up a separate sales company for the Swiss market. The sales for Switzerland were kind of included in, you know, in in corporate headquarters. And there was no separate organization for Switzerland, but we had separate organizations for France and England and America and so on. So I could build up this uh, sales Switzerland company, which was very, very interesting and very, very exciting. And after, uh, I think, two or three years, um, they had an emergency in the United States with the sales company over there. And they asked me whether I was willing to go to the U.S. And um, then, you know, obviously I had to talk to my wife and we were both excited about this opportunity. And basically within two weeks, um, you know, I had to to fly to the United States and take over the, or the organization in the United States. Oh, now that's cool. Now, did you go back to Palo Alto no. or did you, where did you land? No, we were, we were extremely fortunate because um, the headquarters of Metro US was right next door to Princeton, New Jersey. And we, we bought a house in Princeton and um, we really loved um, to, to live That's there. That's a beautiful area. It is. It is. And we were so um, openly, you know, received over there. And, and, and also the city of Princeton, um, a lot of very, very interesting people are living there. And, yeah. and they were, you know, so friendly and so open to us. Um, so we got many, many friends and we were immediately totally you know, involved and accepted in, in Princeton. So your kids went to school, to the public school, the local school? Yes, yes, they did. So they ended up being effectively bilingual then? Yes, totally. When they talked among themselves, they talked English. Fabulous. That's great. So this sounds very idyllic. You're living in the green belt around Princeton with brilliant people from all over the world, working for Mettler Toledo, a very generous employer. What happened after that? Then... 
Um, I was moved back to Switzerland after, you know, it was kind of a turnaround situation in the United States. And after everything was stable again, um, basically, I, I, I informed Mettler Toledo, the corporate management, that I wanted to stay in the U.S. because we liked it so much. And I, I told them that, um, you know, I'm going to look for a job in Boston. That was kind of our, you know, dream location. But they didn't want to... They didn't want to let me go and they said, hey, how about if you could uh, join our kind of the executive committee um, in Switzerland of Meta Toledo and they offered me a job which I just couldn't refuse. So we decided, um, you know, to move back. And then I became a member of the, the group executive board and was responsible for the laboratory division, which at the time was the, the largest division of uh, Meta Toledo. All right, so they gave you a job. They made you an offer you couldn't say no to. Well, how long did you stay doing that? Well, then maybe I made a mistake, maybe not. But anyway, I, uh, you know, a headhunting company contacted me and asked me, if I wanted to become the, the, the CEO of a um, public company in Zurich called SEAL, C, uh, it's a paper company. And SEAL was, they claimed, the oldest company in Switzerland because they started to manufacture paper, um, you know, when the... In the Middle Ages? Yes, with the Reformation, you know, they, when they wanted to print uh, new Bibles and those kind of things. So Martin Luther wrote his commandments on yes, the on exactly. paper. <laughs> <laughs> no, then I, I I joined I joined Seal, but um, after you know maybe a half year or so, I I realized that this company was very 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 sick, and um, huh. then you know I had to do a, a lot of things which I really didn't like to do. Um, you know, lay off a lot of people. Seal had um, quite a few subsidiaries in, in, in Europe, particularly in Germany, but they were all losing money. And um, no, it was really kind of a horrible situation uh, for me. And after uh, three and a half years, I quit Seal again. And then, you know, I had the great opportunity to, to join uh, Kareom. So you really didn't like the radical destruction? that was needed to get, did you have, when you left, were they in better shape? Mm, yes, they were maybe in better shape, but not in good shape. You know, right. like the stock price was under a lot of pressure and, you know, the mood um, in, in all the different companies of the SEAL group was not good at all because, um, you know, when, whenever I visited a company somewhere, basically my message was we have to lay off another 10% of all the employees or, or whatever. So you were not their favorite visitor? No, no, definitely not. And um, I believe, you know, there are people, I know a few of them, they, they kind of do those kind of jobs um, and they even like to do those kind of jobs. But I'm definitely not one of them. I'm not the born turnaround manager. What did you learn from those years? I got to know me a lot better because I, you know, I really had to go through um, very, very difficult times, very difficult meetings. 
and so on with your co-workers you have very intense uh, relations during such a crisis and from some of the people you know you become very very close friends because you could trust them with other people it was kind of the opposite um, you never knew what's going on behind your back but i mean for me i learned um, that i never want to be again in such a situation to me it was also very important that you know i had my family who understood that i'm maybe sometimes tired or in a bad mood or, or or whatever and very often i was i just wasn't home or i came home you know at 10 o'clock at night or or whatever but my my big luck was you know seal had a, a lot of real estate mm -hmm. really a lot uh, very very expensive real estate and the company which afterwards became Careum also had a lot of real estate and they asked me whether I wanted to join their board because they thought that I was uh, kind of uh, that I had some know-how. Yeah, pandemic. exactly. <laughs> and then when I left SEAL, I was on, on the board of Kareum, which at that time was not named Kareum, it was the Rotkreuzspital. Mm -hmm. And they lost the permission to operate as a hospital exactly at the time wow. when when I joined them and then the board asked me whether you know I was willing to kind of organize a restart of this foundation and um, as the timing was kind of optimal you know optimal for me I said yes certainly <laughs> I you know I do that but did you know anything about medicine or hospital management or any of the related disciplines because it did a lot of nursing training right? Uh, I probably knew maybe equally as much as you do. I don't know. So, uh, you know, I was never... One knows something as a patient, but that's uh, different. Okay. <laughs> well, it's different, but important too. Important okay, too. I mean, the answer is no, I didn't. I, I had uh, no particular idea about hospital management or, you know, schooling, school management and so on. But um, I think... You know, this foundation was financially totally independent. The foundation had money. So it had a it had an endowment. Yes. It had assets. Yes. There was some kind of cash flow. Absolutely. You know, the, the foundation was 125 years old when I joined. And during that period of time, a lot of people, before they passed away, they um, they gave money to our foundation. That's why, you know, we have oh, that's a smart. A lot of very, um, very nice real estate in the city of Zurich. And um, I had I had kind of great opportunities to build up something from scratch because I also had the money. What I did, because I knew that I had kind of no big idea about healthcare and, and uh, you know, whatever this foundation was doing. So I had the opportunity to find the best people. I think I had a good hand in finding the right people and building really successful, powerful um, teams. And that's why maybe in the final analysis, it wasn't, it wasn't a catastrophe that I didn't know really healthcare because I had people around me who knew very, very well what it all means. So I'm going to ask you three questions to close that we try to ask each podcast. The first one is what is your favorite place 
at the ETH and in Zurich? What is a place that youth visualize and love to go back to? In Zurich, it's maybe, you know, I'm a member of the Zürcher Yacht Club. That's this mm -hmm. uh, house, which is, you know, in the water. It's actually swimming uh, in front of the Tonhalle, which is a extremely, extremely beautiful location. If you like Zurich, because you kind of uh, see Zurich from there. At the ETH, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, the ETH Terrasse is beautiful. It's not very important in my life, but uh, whenever I'm there, I kind of enjoy the view. When you were a little boy and you were thinking about growing up, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, <laughs> I believe I I wanted to be somehow successful. Maybe also I wanted to be, you know, a little bit relevant for whatever I was doing. Uh, I believe I always wanted to have a family. I wanted to have and I do have, um, you know, good friends. And So you didn't want to be an astronaut? No. I, actually, I wanted to be a pilot. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a pilot. And I'm. It's, it's funny, I, you know, I had the permission to fly before I had the permission to drive. Huh. Because so you have a, a, a pilot license? I had. I had you a pilot had. with 17 years old. And uh, at that time, or still, uh, you have to be 18 to start to drive cars. <laughs> I understand. And what are you curious about? What are you learning about today? What books are on your bookshelf or podcasts do you listen to? Podcasts, actually, not very many, but uh, that's something my children always tell me I should do, you know, when you drive as your car somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, the, the last book I was reading, was, which was kind of fascinating, was a book called um, Spy and traitor and uh, that's the story of a spy who uh, worked first uh, against the against the west and then for the west because um, what's going on in the ukraine and uh, our um, conflict with russia and so you 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 understand it better when you read that book it feels more relevant yeah yeah and uh, what's going on you know behind the scene which we don't see and which we don't hear it, it's incredible and that is what it is, what is written in that book. Hans, thank you so much for your time. This was a great conversation and a great story. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And um, I'm looking forward to all the other stories. I, I always, um, I, I enjoy very much listening into your broadcasts. I'm Susan Kish, host of the We Are ETH series, telling the story of the alumni and friends of the ETH Zurich, the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, based in Zurich. ETH regularly ranks amongst the top universities in the world with cutting-edge research, science, and people. The people who were there, the people who are there, and the people who will be there. Please subscribe to this podcast and join us wherever you listen. And give us a good rating on Spotify or Apple if you enjoyed today's conversation. I'd like to thank our producers at ETH Circle and LE Media. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us.